You're listening to NFT 365, the first daily podcast on NFTs with your host, Fanzo, talking crypto, blockchain, Web3, non-fungible tokens, metaverse, and what the f*** is a non-fungible token? We'll get to that. It's time for today's episode of NFT 365, the only daily NFT podcast minting an NFT every day for 365 days. Powered by the ADHD coin at rally.io, here's your host and digital futurist, the ADHD superpowered Brian Fenzo. This show is not financial advice, so do your own damn research. What's up, friends? Uh, welcome back to another episode of NFT 365. And right now, you know, in this market where we are currently at, one of the big conversations is that there are a lot of opportunities for projects to that you can jump into that maybe you never would have imagined would still be, you know, at this this current mint price or what the the price of uh, you know the project is at the moment. But uh, when we say that, you know, I think it's important to to you know kind of factor in some things that are outside of the data points, outside of the numbers in regards to, you know, what, it, what matters when you're trying to jump into an established project or a project that is already minted out, or maybe even a project that is on, you know, delivering its phase two or even phase three uh, type collections. And so we're going to talk about that uh, and a little bit more on this episode of the podcast. Of course, I give a shout out to our sponsor, Crypto Business Conference, happening for us in beautiful San Diego, California. If you're looking to level up on all things Web3, crypto, NFTs, metaverse, there literally is uh, subject matter experts on each of the stages as well uh, as some of the networking lounge. So definitely check out Crypto Business Conference. And then you know, we're going to do a little throwback, and, I, and I'm pulling a throwback all the way back to January 21st. So on January 21st, we minted our 71st. So today we're minting number 289. Uh, back on uh, January 21st, we minted our, our 71st uh, you know, project for our collection, and it was from an established uh, project called the Deadheads. Uh, and the Deadheads had that kind of their phase two uh, release, which was called Skull Troopers. Uh, and that's the one we minted uh, in that collection. And so uh, you can kind of, we'll check it out there. But, you know, it's really interesting because, you know, the the people that I know that are part of uh, Deadheads, the community, uh, they they live it. They sleep it. They, they breathe it. They have a very, um, you know, uh, powerful community, a lot of, um, you know, a, a powerful reputation, a great team uh, that also just, you know, kind of has always kind of uh, been one of those ones that are established in the space. But it actually, you know, kind of connects, uh, you know, nicely into our conversation for, uh, you know, for this episode, because I think one of the things that we have to think about when it comes to, you know, what does all of this mean? Or how do we look at this whole, you know, uh, established space? You know, one of the things that I, I've realized is that there are a lot of projects that there almost is this like there's like a, an allure around them that they're just an amazing project because they are a legacy or maybe they have a lot of the the OG crypto um, you know, leaders in the actual project. But that actually, to me, actually doesn't mean that it's a great project. And one of the things that we've had to learn is that, you know, early on, a lot of people were supporting, um, you know, projects of friends. But, you know, one of the things that happened, and it just, you know, it's a byproduct of this space, is that, you know, when, you know, people jump into a project, they're all in, they're supporting it, they're, you know, holding a big bag, you know, inevitably, they're, they're, a lot of those people are going to launch their own NFT project. And the, the, one of the questions we have to ask is that, you know, what, what about that project made it great before 
And then what is it, what is it doing now? And what has it done for us lately? And then ultimately, what is kind of like that vibe and energy? And so I want to kind of take a, a little bit of a step back because, you know, there are a lot of people that, you know, when I'm, you know, talking about minting an NFT every single day, they're like, man, I don't want to mint NFTs because there's too much of a chance going. I'd rather buy in uh, to an established project, one that is already kind of has, uh, you know, a, a running community, already has delivered in some utility, already has kind of a reputation. But here's the, here's the truth. Because it already has an established community and reputation isn't always a good thing. And I think it's often alluded to, well, you know, they've had, you know, their floor price at one time was five ETH. And so this is one of the things that I've started to look at for projects that I, you know, if I'm looking to jump into, especially in my personal bag, is that I really want to start discovering what made that project great when it was at its height. And then what were some of the, you know, the, the let's just say the, the factors that maybe or roadblocks, right? And I will tell you, you know, one of the things that I think everyone should do when you're looking at projects is that there are a lot of people on social, a lot of people on Twitter, especially even in discords, that they're open to you reaching out to them and saying, hey, can I DM you with a couple questions about a project? Now, I will tell you, this is one of the first tips I'm going to give you is that, you know, you're going to want to go look at some tools. You're going to want to look at some of the, you know, project data, not for just like the trends, not for just like the charts. I mean, anyone can look at these charts, right? We have, there's charts that we can have that we can look at that will give you, you know, what was the average floor price? What was the average sale price uh, on each day? But that's not what I'm referring to. What I'm referring to is you're going to want to look and try to reach out to people that are, are passionate about the project. But in my opinion, they're not over leveraged in the sense that they're not one of the top five holders and they're not someone that is, you know, quote unquote, in the back pocket of the team of the project. And that's not like I'm not saying that out of spite. What I'm saying is that, you know, it's really important if you are going to reach out, you know, if we're spending thousands of dollars to jump into these projects, we should reach out to people in their community. And one of the questions that I would, would love to ask or what I love to kind of pose is like, you know, what? what made you jump into this project before? What are you most excited about in the future of this project? And what is one thing that you believe they could have done better or they did wrong in the project? And I will tell you, if you are asking someone's feedback about a project, if you're just you're trying to determine if it's worth getting into and they can't give you a, a reasoning or something that they believe that you know they could have done better or different or maybe even just some feedback on you know, the overall piece, like I don't know of a single project that has been perfect, right? I don't care who you are from Board Ape Yacht Club to CryptoPunks to, you know, we can go down to Moonbirds and even like the Potatoes recently. And, and you know, a lot of these projects that have um, a lot of lore from Pudgy Penguins to uh, Cool Cats. And I think it's important to, you know, because if we, if we remember that no project is perfect, one of the things that you need to look at is, okay, how do they handle those non-perfect times, right? And I will tell you, this this to me is is one of the things that is the hardest to gauge and figure out. And what it is, is how confident are you that the project team can handle future FUD, right? People future in the future spreading fear, uncertainty, and doubt. And how confident are you that the team can actually manage crisis management or if they have a, a hack or if something comes out about that team as we move forward. Because one of the things that I think is, a, is often overlooked is that 
you know, there are projects right now that have kind of come back. You know, we, we could actually say Pudgy Penguins is one of them, right? That had, um, you know, people kind of, you know, laughing about the project. They still have, you know, a, a slew of haters, but there is something you know, pretty powerful about the fact that it was, you know, purchased by someone uh, new and that, you know, the, a lot of the people that hold on to that project, you know, have loved it from the beginning or they, they kind of love the underdog. And, I, you know, I'm one that is a huge fan of supporting and, and working with the underdog. But here's the thing. If the underdog has an ego or believes they've not, not done anything wrong and it's just the, the, it's the bear market and it's just the community members, uh, if they're not willing to kind of own those mistakes, the question you have to ask yourself is what are they going to own moving forward? And so that's one of the things I like to do when I'm looking at an, uh, you know, a project, an established project. I just did that this past week. Uh, and I reached out to two people and I was like, you know, I, can I send you a DM? And, and they were both you know, gracious enough um, to do so. And, and part of that comes into, you know, like understanding like kind of that entire vibe. The next thing that I want to share about, you know, this idea of, you know, how do we learn uh, or what can we learn about projects that are established is that you have to ask yourself, you know, not only how strong is that community, but here's one of the things that I think is overlooked. How welcoming is that community to new members? So I love jumping into discords of projects that are established. I was actually in uh, two projects last night uh, that were, you know, from established projects. And I, I jumped into their discord and I went and looked like, uh, you know, most pro- discords have like that, like welcome section or a GM section or new members section. And what I wanted to do was I wanted to scroll back like maybe two or three weeks. And I wanted to find a couple of people that were, were new to the community. And I wanted to see how they were, you know, kind of welcomed, seeing if they were still very active in, in the community itself. Because one of the things that is really tough is that, you know, a lot of people, you know, in communities will often take a kind of like a land grab approach, they will say things like, well, I've been here from the mint. So, you know, not everyone is created equal. And I think, you know, one of the things that is the hardest when it comes to community building, and it's, it's a struggle in web one, it's a struggle in web two. I mean, I think it's the actual reason web two was so um, polarizing in many cases is, you know, it's really hard to scale a community because to scale a community, not only does the owner of the you know, or the original you know creator of that community have to you know take a, an egoless approach, but every member of that community or a majority of the members of that community also have to recognize that they have a role to play in onboarding new members and kind of you know establishing that culture into you know a community. And I will tell you that's not easy, right? And it it's really up to those really active, you know, community members that love, you know, it's not just welcoming people in, but giving people a little bit about the culture, about the way things work, some recommendations on who to follow, what to follow, even giving people kind of like a nudge about upcoming things that they might not be aware of. Because here's here's one of the things that I found is there's a couple projects that I jumped into that were very established. And when I started asking around, the narrative I got was very much to the point of like, well, you should have been here before. And because you aren't like, go find the information yourself. And that's not, you know, like, Hey, that's, you know, that's part of this space and sometimes how things work. But I will tell you as a whole, that this is one of the things that you just have to recognize within, you know, community and projects. The other thing you're going to want to look at, right? So we talk about, you know, Let's try to avoid those that are holding big bags and ask questions to, you know, passionate community members, but ones that are willing to admit, you know, the goodness and the, and the flaws. Uh, the second one there is really looking at how those communities welcome in uh, new members into that you know, community as they scale. 
the next thing that I'm going to say is, you know, what is that next utility? What is the thing that is on the roadmap that, that we believe is going to be delivered upcoming? Because here's one of the things that I think we often forget about is that, you know, if a project is established, the question you have to ask yourself is like, why would I want to jump in it today versus waiting a month or two months from now when it's closer to the delivery of that utility or of that project? And you might be saying, well, Brian, the price might go up. Well, then you have to take a step back and say, what would actually cause the, the demand of this project to increase while, of course, the project isn't you know, automatically increasing their supply? And what I mean by that is there are a lot of projects that are rolling out, you know, sister projects or a second project or, uh, you know, a project expansion, right? The, the next phase of it, right? And with that comes, you know, new entry points, comes new people, but that also enters into more of those problems around scale. And so one of the things that I love to, to kind of break down is, okay, what is the value of me getting in it today that, isn't have, that doesn't have to do with the exact floor price, and I would even ask myself, like, if the floor went up 20% between now and the day they delivered the utility, but the utility date was pushed back twice, would it be worth me getting into it? What I mean by that is you have to ask yourself, like, you know, if I would just take this Ethereum or I would take this Solana, uh, and one of the projects that I have in mind here is Solana, a Solana project. If I take the Solana and just stake the Solana for the next 60 days, and rather than me putting it into this project, and I just see how the project's going, and at the 60-day mark, jump into it if I think it's you know starting to you know deliver or back up what I you know what I believe is is a value, or should I jump into it now and and stick my you know Solana in there? And the other part of that is you know right now there is are in almost every community there is a lot less people that are active, which I actually think is a great reason to jump into projects today. Because, you know, jumping into an established project that is, you know, hitting on all cylinders and people are active and, you know, everyone's talking all the time and showing up, that's really hard to kind of find your, your little tribe, you know, within a project, right? Or you try to find your people. That also comes down to the micro communities or micro groups within projects. Now, some projects have trait groups, right? So it's the, all of those that have a certain trait, right? Like if everybody has a rainbow um, you know, property on their NFT, those people you know, kind, of, kind of come together. And, and those things, I, think, I think subgroups are essential for um, onboarding of new members because you know, when you jump into a project and you're new to a 10,000-piece collection, it's very overwhelming. But if you jump into a 10,000-piece collection and you're welcomed in by a subgroup of 400 that are like, hey, I saw you bought this one off the floor and you have this you know, characteristic, or maybe it's because you're a parent, or maybe it's for all of those that live in the United States, or maybe it's, the, you know, it's those that are you know, um, the East Coast people, or whatever that may be, those subgroups can oftentimes be like the greatest entry point and the greatest kind of like connection for, for new people. But it also really just depends on how much they're still kind of connected to the, the, the culture and the, you know, the essence of what's going on there. The other thing that we really have to look at is I love gamification. I love projects that have um, detailed you know, utility and creative, uh, you know, uh, let's just say creative use of additional um, components and NFTs. But here's the truth is that a lot of projects get so complex 
that it's great for those that have been there on the journey because you're just kind of riding through it and you're like, oh yeah, I got this NFT that unlocks this. And if I get three of these, it gives me one of these. And if I get one of these, it's going to, and all of those things are great if you've been in it for a while. But if you jump into a project and you're like, man, I just spent a couple thousand dollars, you get the, the you get the, uh, you know, your NFT, you jump in the, and someone in the community is like, oh, I'm so glad you got that. Are you planning on getting the other five components so that you can get this extra utility? If you're not like aware of that, and if you don't understand all of those moving parts, it can be really polarizing. And it's one of the mistakes that I've made uh, over the last month or so is that I jumped into a project without really fully understanding the complexity of all of the other components and the things that people were doing, even beyond staking, right? They were, they were staking and then they were using what they were, the, the coins that they were making to do this other thing. And then they were taking that and they were kind of re and when I got into it, I realized, you know, even though it was a couple thousand dollars to get into it, I needed a couple thousand dollars more to really take advantage of all of the moving parts. And I really wasn't ready to, to, you know, kind of extend that further. And, you know, for me that actually the beauty of NFTs is I was able to sell uh, that NFT only a couple of weeks after I had jumped in and I could move on to, uh, you know, another project that might be more, um, you know, where I'm looking at what I'm, the things that I care about. The other thing that I want to kind of just highlight when it comes to like data and information, right? Like I think floor price is not what I, like if I'm looking at an established project, I don't care what their floor price is today. What I want to look at is I want to say, okay, over, over a 90 day period or over the last six months, you know, what are some of the, what were some of the inflection points, right? What were some of the things that caused, um, you know, the, the, the over, you know, the average sale price to increase. And then I'm going to ask myself things like what role does rarity play in this collection, right? Is it the, those that are, you know, have a more rare, uh, trait, are they rewarded in a collection or do people are just buying off the floor because there really isn't any value in, uh, the rarity of a collection to me, that's actually one that is, uh, I think a lot of projects overlook that. Right. And so then, uh, if everyone's just getting in on the floor, that that's just something that you're going, you're going to want to recognize. The other thing you're going to look at is, you know, how is a project looking at like whales, and how are they looking at making some of the decisions within the community, right? So they, do they have a social council? Are, are they, do they have a DAO where maybe there's some voting um, and some you know, people that actually have uh, some voting rights or you have some additional, uh, let's just say, clout um, because of the NFTs you're holding? And, you know, and even I would even throw in there, like, how are they treating those that are, are, are whales or those that are holding um, many of a project, right? And I think, you know, it's important to look at, like, kind of the, the demographic of projects. And I don't think there's any one, like, exact way for a demographic to look, but you're going to want to look at things like unique holders. How many unique holders are there? If you look at the top 10% of, of holders, how many of them are top 10% of the collection? How many of them, uh, you know, how many holders, how many of the top holders, how much do they hold, right? So if, if I look at a 10,000 piece collection and there's five people that hold 400 NFTs in that collection, okay, I just need to be aware of that, that there are four people or five people that can really change the course of a project by simply, you know, them not getting their way, right? That's something very, you know, very clear to understand. The other thing is I want to just know, like, what is their relationship with the project? And, and the, the piece of that that I think is actually really essential here is that I think a lot of projects underestimate the, the positive and negative of your, you know, most vocal holders of your project. What I mean by that is, it's not just influencers, but it's those that are, you know, are maybe opening the most Twitter spaces. 
maybe it's those that are always, you know, replying on Twitter or those that are posting on other socials about that, uh, you know, the NFT that they have. When you think about it, if that person or those people are often the front door or the most heard, it doesn't matter if they're founders or not. In most cases, they are in, in, in many ways representing the brand and the business. Now, we know in the Web2 world, that's a scary proposition, right? Because there are a lot of you know, employees that were not executives that have done things to hurt the, the greater brand, right? And you're like, wait a second, they're not even on the executive team, yet their actions, you know, what they've done actually can hurt the, you know, the greater whole. And so it actually is something that maybe I, I and maybe this is just me, like as of recently, is that like, I want to know those that are, you know, those that are their top holders and those that are the most vocal holders are those people that I align with are those people that I believe in and are those people, in my opinion, connected to the culture of the project? Because there are some projects that their biggest bag holders are not aligned with the same utility, but their reason their biggest bag holders is because the project's making them money. The last thing I want to share is around that word utility. And I got in this discussion with someone a couple of days ago around, you know, some people look at utility as just the, it's how many airdrops of NFTs, additional NFTs am I going to get that are going to make me money? So for example, if you get it in early in a project and they've airdropped you three of their other collections and you'll be able to flip those collections without hurting your, you know, the original collection and you're making a couple, you know, $20,000, $40,000, whatever that may be. For a lot of people, they look at that as utility. Now, if that is how the project is built, hey, I'm all for it. But if the project's core utility is something different or bigger or um, you know more elaborate around something like education, like, I, I think this is a, this is a funny one for me, right? Like there are projects that are touting themselves as education plays, yet if you ask the members of that community today what the utility is, what the best value is, it has nothing to do with the education. It has only to do with what other NFTs or what other projects that have been airdropped or given to them um, in their collection. And so then the, the question you have to ask yourself is, well, how good is that education utility? And if, if their most active members aren't caring about that, why would others care about that? And the last thing I'll say is that there are some great uh, established projects that are great at marketing and having conversations with their existing holders, which I think is so important. But here's the hard truth. If projects do not understand the importance of, ha- of not only communicating with your existing holders, but with also communicating with those that have never heard about the project and the, the greater NFT community, here's the thing. You can't increase demand. You can't um, you know, increase the value of a project if people on the outside of the project don't know, understand, or care about that project. There are some projects right now that I will tell you that are in the top 50 uh, of you know, total volume of trades uh, on the Ethereum blockchain that I know very little about that have been the top 50 for the last, let's just say, six months. And for me, that's a red flag because if right now, if they have not done a great job of educating the greater NFT community on what that project is all about or what, you know, what really matters, then how are we going to expect as more people come into this space, as we jump out of this bear market, how are we going to expect them to kind of keep up with, you know, with others that are doing a much better job on that? And I, I will tell you for me, you know, it also is one of those things for holders, right? Like 
the reason a lot of people hold on to a project is because they don't want to be the person that left it early and then the project took off or they don't want to, they, they're holding it because of its status, right? It gives them a little bit of clout, right? And I, and I, and I know that for you know, a fact, a couple of projects that, you know, people have told me like, Brian, you know, the project hasn't given me much utility and the people in it are, are pretty good. But the fact that I have that NFT in my wallet is actually opening up other doors. And so the, the value for them for not selling is actually how good the reputation of that project is publicly. And I actually think that's an interesting, you know, kind of, uh, you know, cross section here. And the last thing I just want to wrap this episode on is just the idea of, you know, you have to, you have to think about this from your, like your core definition of success. I talked about this in, in yesterday's episode as well, right? When you're getting into a project, you have to really think about like, what is, what is it that you're looking to get out of it? And then really diving in and asking yourself, like, how are those things going to show up? What are the ways that I'm going to measure those things that are actually being delivered? And the, this comes down to actually probably one of my biggest pet peeves. And I think one of the biggest missed marks when it comes to great NFT projects is that, you know, kind of like education, like I will tell you the thing that I'm focusing on with education here in this space is not training the masses or, you know, working to get mass adoption or just onboarding web two. I, I onboarding web two people is not the answer. In my opinion, the answer is having education that is focused on a train the trainer mentality, a train the trainer philosophy. So it's not only important to teach people and give people the kind of like the, the basics to get into a space, but it's, it's vital that we empower those people to be able to be confident enough to teach others because that is truly how we get it, how this space grows with the right people in the right time. It's about great people that are in this space that welcome other great people, empower those people to understand why they're in here and then them to tell their friends. Like we've all been there, right? I've onboarded some friends and they're like, Brian, I don't really understand it, but I trust you. So I jumped in. Well, guess what? All that work I did with onboarding that person kind of stales, stops there, right? Because they're not able to even convey to their friends or to answer questions on why they're, while, while they're in it. And the reason I bring that up is because that also comes down to, you know, owners of the NFT. How good are they at explaining why they're in a project, what is the utility, what is the roadmap, what is the story, what is the lore of the project? Like I would challenge a lot, you know, like if it's only the same five or six voices that you ever hear on a project, it's kind of one of those things that I like, I'm like, interesting, like let me, let me dive deeper. And I know a couple of people that are, you know, listeners of the podcast. Uh, I recently reached out to a couple of people and said, hey, I know that you're in this project and I know that these couple of people here, you know, make these claims about that project. But I'm curious, what has your experience been in that project? And what, what is like the whole story? And one of them said, Brian, I know you're going to call me out on the podcast on this. They're like, but I don't even really understand what the utility is or where they're going in the future. But I do know that a lot of the people in, in the project right now are really confident on it. So I'm almost betting on those people. And this is where I'm going to leave you kind of with, with an overarching lesson that I've found uh, over my career. It's not, it's not good enough or not enough information just to know the, the big voices or the most influential people inside of a project or a business. Here's what's most important. What's most important is to build relationships and understand who influences the most influential people in a project. What I mean by that is, 
if there are certain people that are the most vocal or they hold the biggest bag or they're the, they're the ones that are helping build the culture of that project, who are the people they're listening to? Who are the people that they're learning from? What podcast are they listening to? Or maybe, you know, what Twitter spaces are they showing up in? Because what that's going to tell you is it's going to give you probably more information, more insights into their vision, their mission, and their core values. There are some people in this space that they preach, you know, wag me. They talk a lot about um, community and, and lifting everyone up. But if, when it comes down to it, they only support their network. They only care about the people that are holding the bags that they hold. And they're never really caring about the greater NFT community as a whole. They're, they're seldom in other people's space. If they don't hold the NFT, they sure as heck are not going to retweet or share or be a part of those conversations. And to me, that's such a short-sighted approach. And unfortunately, it's still working for a lot of those people. But if those people are influencing people in an established project, well, now I have to think about how is that going to work with them onboarding people? And is that a project that I want to be a part of? Lastly, I'll just say, you know, data is only part of the story, right? Data without context is just information. Data with context allows you to make decisions and gives you that whole story so hopefully you can do your own damn research and move forward. So I'm going to challenge everyone out here. When you, when you hear people say, do your own research, or as we say here in the podcast, do your own damn research, what I'm going to challenge you to do is, what does doing your own damn research mean? And it's going to be different based on different projects, different blockchains, how long the project has been in, uh, you know, out, how long it took for the project to, to, to grow. I will tell you one of the things that I'm looking for now is I love slow burn projects that have momentum right now. Projects that didn't mint out all the way, or maybe the second project, the second piece didn't you know, explode like they might have thought of, but they have a very humble kind of grassroots approach because those are the ones that are not only still building, but those are the ones that are going to be here through it all. And they're the ones that really value their core members of their team and those that are showing up. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of a, you know, some ideas and things to you know, definitely check out in, you know, within these different projects. Uh, definitely check out you know, our sponsor, Crypto Business Conference. It is definitely a great event for all of those looking to kind of not only level up on all things you know, uh, you know, Web3, but if you're looking to you know, get a job in Web3, if you're looking to launch your own NFT project, maybe you're looking to better understand you know, the metaverse play or even creator coins and what they um, you know, have to offer, uh, definitely check out. It is at Social Media Examiner dot com slash nft365 you can find out all of that great information there i will leave you with this my friends is that you know as much as you know these times are, are really interesting from a building perspective and you know there are projects that i would have just never imagined that would have uh you know a floor price that is a entry point now in you know kind of a great you know opportunity the thing that we have to come back and ask ourselves is you know was that project did that project shoot to the moon just because they've been around for a while and they had a lot of loud voices in their, in their corner? Or are they actually building something great and something valuable and something that can stand the test of time? Because there's something really beautiful about everyone coming back down to reality. Of course, everyone, all these projects' realities are a little bit different. But building back up, there is no easy button. You can't just go back and say, well, didn't you know our project was a 10th floor in December and January? That doesn't work anymore. And so there are a lot of projects that right now look like great entry points that sadly, probably right now is going to be their all-time high. 
They're not going to recover. They're not going to come back. They're not going to, to reach that Lord because they didn't even know how they got there in the first place. It's something that I really am looking for. What made that project or these projects special to begin with? And is that special component still available? Is it still running rampant in there? Or is it just because they were early or they were first or because there wasn't many other options that were providing you know, utility of value? There's lots of great options that are out there, but I would argue there's also a lot of traps where you can just jump into something because it had momentum or it has you know, mystique and ultimately set yourself up for long-term failure. So as always, my friends, not financial advice, do your own damn research. And just remember, you know, there are great people out there doing great things. And if you're willing to put in the time, put in a little bit of research, get to know people, reach out to people in communities, ask them questions, you'll find your people. And as we like to say here, you know, we is greater than me. It's essential for us to find our people because together we are destined to do great things. Until tomorrow, my friends, make it a great day. Cheers. The Mint 365 Collection 100-Day Countdown is on. We're counting down to November 11th when we'll auction off all 365 NFTs as one collection, including a custom mosaic of all the art. Want to bid on this one-of-a-kind Web3 time capsule? For details, keep listening to NFT 365. If you found this helpful, let us know by leaving a review. Like, subscribe, share, and do all of those good things. We are greater than me, and as always...